Elohim is a word that we do not hear much of today. I have an idea that it has been seen as such an undesirable trait that it has been taken on as oh, a kind of enemy to be removed, not to be seen anywhere. When is the last time you heard someone say that shame is a basic dynamic in their life? Well, I wish to talk with you about shame. That is difficult for me to do in a way, as to do it effectively, I feel I ought to share with you some of my own shame. And because my own shame is not a friend of mine, well, this then is a bit risky. It's a little fearful for me to do. And if I'm honest, I suppose my motives are also mixed. I do encounter shame as I work with chemically dependent people. It is around, and therefore I feel needs be talked about. But in that process, perhaps I can begin to become friendly with my own shame. You see, to me, shame is almost a dirty word. I, too, have accepted the message of the culture. Only recently, as I have begun examining the dynamic of shame, as well as looking at my own, has just a bit of that edge begun to wear off. And this journey has just begun, and I'm realizing that it may take a long, long time to be finished, if in fact it ever is. What I have come to see is that shame has to do with one's state of being. It has to do with feelings of weakness and inadequacy. It has to do with doubt. Is different than guilt. I see guilt as having to do with a specific wrong, an action against a social code or a law. And shame, I feel, is more than a wrong. It is finally to see oneself as condemned by society, as being completely different, outside of, yeah, an outcast. And it is, then, an exceedingly powerful force. What shame fears most is exposure. So surrounding shame, there is considerable anxiety. There is great fear that others will see me as I see myself. Bumbling, inept, foolish perhaps. The message seems to be, the world is okay, I'm not. And I guess what one fears with exposure is abandonment, which is much deeper and stronger than rejection. And so to avoid the risk of abandonment, one common reaction is isolation. I will remove myself so as not to be discovered for the inadequate person I feel myself to be. 
And, of course, in isolation, intimacy is impossible. Intimacy, too, has with it all the risks of exposure. The irony, for me, is that fear of abandonment ends up leading to great loneliness. This loneliness seems safe from exposure, but it ends up sort of a self-imposed exile. But even in exile, one is not completely safe, as shameful incidences are brought to memory, and one is caught up in the middle of shame merely as a result of recall. Shame seems to have about it that kind of powerlessness. And once our shame self is provoked or touched, whatever you want to call it, what is called a spiral effect begins. And what that looks like is, well, there you are suddenly, oblivious to everything else, focused only on oneself. It's kind of like falling helplessly, downward, wanting to flee, to hide, to cover oneself. Let's see, a um, sexual conversation might be a provoker for that kind of spiral. In the midst of joking and laughing with friends, an instance comes up that perhaps one has thought of or been a part of, and suddenly the spiral starts. The message to the individual is that I am the center of attention, and everyone knows what I have done or what I have thought of doing. In reality, perhaps nothing has been done. Pure horror and fear are what I feel when I'm caught in that spot. All of this can be triggered by someone who doesn't do it deliberately, doesn't even know it's happening, perhaps, who has moved on in the conversation and who is in reality oblivious to this vulnerable, quaking, tongue-tied person caught in the grips of shame. There seems about shame, then, a need to cover up, to be constantly on guard. I think of birds as they fly about looking for food, seemingly intent on just looking for food, but yet constantly on guard, looking for danger, for the surprise that might come from any direction. Even where no danger is imminent, it is watched for, it is suspect. That's an edge that is present in shame, too. It is powerful, powerful stuff. The irony is that this can even be triggered within our own mind, and all by ourselves we see ourselves as we believe ourselves to be. That is, less than what we want to be, 
less than perhaps we know ourselves to be. And so our own recall and memory, without anyone else around, can put us into the spiral. Do you perhaps note a few strains of that old tune called unmanageability? When I am caught in the middle of all this, I blush. And whenever I blush, I feel as though the entire world is looking right at me. And that, of course, makes it all the worse. I seem powerless over that kind of grandiosity. My blush is simply notice of exposure. No one else may have any idea of what it's about. But there I am on the verge of purple, wishing I could disappear. I have hated this blush for decades. And it's only in my very recent past that I have come to realize that no one has ever walked away from me because I blush. In fact, people seem to find it a highly attractive part of me, as they always seem to move in closer as that blush takes place. I have come to see that I am perhaps most human when I am caught in the midst of my blushing spiral. For I am then at the height of my vulnerability. And it is exceedingly interesting to me that I seem powerless over it, and that despite all my efforts to appear invulnerable, the blush, the powerlessness, finally invites others in. I read somewhere once a wonderful quote that went something like this. A true blush is a spiritual phenomena, stimulated only by appeal to conscience. No physical means produce it, only an appeal from the divinity which stirs within us. And how, how can those be trusted who know not how to blush. Put like that, I like my blush a little bit better. And I would ask you, when was the last time you blushed? In my investigation of shame, it is suggested that the origins of shame are found in the early years of childhood. Shame on you. Did you ever hear that as a child? Shame. What are you doing? Shame on you. Well, that's powerful stuff for a small child who in its early development fears loneliness, fears being left alone to fend for itself, recognizing that it simply can't. It may be too easy to blame parents for shame, for in actuality it is our projected fear that seems to trigger it. Again, the message seems to be the world is okay, I'm not. That's painful as a very small child. So then, to avoid the world's disapproval, to get away from its supposed condemnation, we cooperate in that we become phony 
I think that was my defense mechanism. I put up a wall so that my real self could not be seen. Hopefully, I wouldn't even have to see it very often myself. Again, the nature of shame is to keep us locked up in ourselves and away from ourselves, and of course, then out of the world. It is my guess that we are very much aware of shame moments in our lives. Moments that cause guilt, yes, but that also get us caught up in the spiral where we see ourselves as not measuring up, that seem to make us feel out of sync with the rest of the world, out of step with the rest of our society. I say I believe we have this kind of awareness because I feel I do, in large part, in my own life. Events that seem to me so horrible that exposure of them would result in my literal withering away, I am aware of. Now, some of that kind of stuff may in fact be locked away in the unconscious. I don't know. But what I am getting at is that there is in the AA program a place for these shame elements and moments in our lives. Our need in the program for some privacy is recognized. And there is, finally, the fourth and the fifth step process. Admission of shame-inducing material, as incredibly difficult as that may be, for this then is self-exposure, and what we have feared is exposure. This admission, this self-exposure, may help us begin the process of befriending our shame. Once it is no longer the enemy, it is not nearly so powerful. In the fifth step, you may get some feedback that you are not so unique, that you are not so horrible, that you are not finally so unbearable that you need fear abandonment. In fact, it is our vulnerability, this highly developed sense of conscience, that I feel helps us finally be lovely. Overcoming shame may take a long, long, long time. It's not going away nearly as quickly as I wish it would in my own life. but it is important to work on. I see it then as a spiritual block to serenity. And in terms of my sobriety, then it becomes very important that I attempt to be honest about it. I don't need the fear that surrounds shame. No, it's hard to get rid of. I don't need or like the loneliness, but it's very hard sometimes to trust, even God. Shame is powerful, powerful stuff 
And thank goodness, then, that this is a program of progress. That's the promise. A program of progress, never perfection. I do believe that owning my shame gives me the opportunity to be more human. I do believe that I am highly sensitive to it in other people. And because I know its territory, I can walk around in it with little threat and with some insight. I will, perhaps, all my days be subject to the spiral. I don't know. But it is good to at least know what's happening. I can't stop it yet, but I see it, and I believe I have new daring to investigate it. I then, in reality, have a chance of growth, of change, and that, maybe, is all I can do, open up that chance. If you have identified with anything I've said in this talk, all I can say to you at this point, finally, is take courage. You are not all alone. And that, for me, has been very good news.